The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. It's Squawk Box, and joining us from London, myself and Karen Show and Steve is on the shores of Lake Como. Uh, we're going to hear a lot about the views from Italy on the state of the world economy. But let's get into your headlines. Selling strikes Wall Street. The Dow sinks over 800 points in its worst day since June as investors flee tech stocks in an abrupt end to the winning streak. Apple shares plunge 8% in the stock's worst day since March as the tech giant loses $150 billion in market value during the trading session. Asian equities see red following U.S. majors lower as big technology firms across the region lead declines. Well, we're seeing uh, volatility resurgent, of course, with the VIX showing its biggest one-day rise since June. Uh, whilst here at the Ambrosetti Forum on the shores of Lake Como, uh, the mood remains very cautious about what the rest of 2020 has to offer. Italy has never seen in, in its history uh, such a rebound, such a growth rate, and has never seen uh, such a collapse. Uh, so, excitement unbounded. I can't remember the last day the three of us actually worked together. And what an irony that uh, just as we're planning to put this program together uh, overnight, the markets decide to take a bath. So, we're going to have a, a fantastic conversation, I think, over the next three hours here as we come to you live from London and, of course, uh, northern Italy, where Steve is at the, uh, the major forum there. So we'll get to that in just a second. Guys, let me put you on pause for a moment. I'm going to trot over to the wall. I'm going to have a look at how these markets actually closed up the session. Uh, so as you know, if you were watching your portfolio yesterday, uh, the U.S. markets uh, fell fairly heavily throughout the trading session. Largely, it was the technology stocks that took us lower here. So we were off 4.96% uh, at the close for the NASDAQ, the S&P off 3.5%, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average finishing the day down 2.78%. There are so many ways in which we can take this conversation. My technical friends are all getting very excited about this, and the ones who look at the history of these markets are talking about 1929 all over again. They point out that the 3rd of September was a key moment. It was a high for the markets then, and they are looking at the timing of this pullback, and they're saying, could we, dare we, make the comparison with that period. But let's not get carried away with ourselves here. We've had a remarkable run for these markets, as we know, and I think it's a little too early in the day to start doing the big grand comparisons. But you do have to ask yourself some questions, and we're here to try and help you out with those today. Do you buy the dips? Do you sell the dips? We're obviously going to have some choppiness through the month of September here. Has technology gone too far? Has the value segment of the market 
got an opportunity to catch up here as you break down some of the uh, performances, the individual performances here. It is worth just noting that as the iShares Russell Growth ETF fell 4.89%, the iShares Russell Value ETF was only down, and I use that word advisedly, 2%. What also I think was quite interesting about the action yesterday was that some of the traditional safe havens didn't actually save you a whole lot. Gold was down 0.35%. Well, that looks a lot better than the declines here, but it didn't stop you from losing money effectively in the selling session yesterday. The Russell down 2.9%. We don't have it up here on the board, but that also just gives you a sense of how broad the decision to step away from equities was. But let's refocus on the headline technology story because, Karen, I think really that's where the major pain was felt here. It's the tech superstars. We've been talking about them for months and weeks. Uh, the outperformance we've seen just recently, these were the stocks that fell the heaviest. And if you take a look at Apple stock, that was down about 8%. Uh, this is a stock that recently claimed the $2 trillion market valuation level. And despite the force yesterday, which shed about $180 billion in market value, it still held on to that $2 trillion valuation. This is the largest one-day loss for any company in history. So a huge reversal taking place in that stock. But before you shed a tear, this company has still had a huge gain so far this year, up roughly about 65% since the start of this year. So stunning gains we've had. And you talk about a reversal like this, and sure, it was very sharp, very swift. But is it healthy to see a form of correction like this come into a stock that is uh, trading so high on the multiples? In terms of what we're seeing elsewhere, uh, some of the other big fang stocks across the board also marked lower, not as much as we saw in the Apple stock reversal, but still four or five odd percent reversals for some of the other major names. If you take a look at um, you know, the likes of uh, Alphabet, that stock down 5%, Amazon down 4.6%, and Amazon, of course, still a stock that is highly rated by the analyst community because of the stay-at-home trends where people are doing more e-commerce than ever before. So Amazon is a stock that a lot of investors still want in the portfolio, yet in session, as everything was sold off across the basket, this stock fell too. But you can see very similar ranges for a lot of these particular companies. Uh, Alphabet, if I could just call out Google, I mean, this stock is still up 22% year-to-date. Uh, Microsoft is up 30 percent year to date so still enormous gains in the sector i think you've seen a lot of heat though in some of these stocks in particular and tesla is a good example of that uh, it's had a, a fairly rapid sell-off in recent sessions about 18 or percent three days of losses that particular stock has suffered investors have seen just a huge herding into some of these names in particular and you can see that stock down nine percent yesterday so that's an outperformance to the downside zoom video also seeing a fairly significant sell-off so uh, across the board there was just nowhere to hide in technology and that's what you expect i mean these stocks have rallied been incredibly resist uh, resilient the huge uh, gains we've witnessed have been in lockstep across the board so it probably makes sense that as you see the market flip they become leaders to the downside steve uh, you may want to wait in on this because the market was talking a lot about how there was no shorts out there no one wanted to get steamrolled with short positions which is why you had exaggerated selling on a day like this 
hang on a second, I thought some of those geniuses who have come on this channel for the last 20 years that I've been on it have been telling me about the fear index, about the VIX, which is a great metaphor for the fear in the market. And, and as I've tried to retort back to them every single time, having traded one or two options in my lifetime myself, in my previous career as well, it is the worst indicator of fear going. It only shows fear when fear has already arrived. It gives you no uh, knowledge in advance at all. In fact, if you look at your VIX chart now, which showed a 26.5% rise yesterday, up to 33.6 from its low, uh, the uh, the low of the year, down about 21.3 on the 17th of August. The fact of the matter is, it is the perfect inverse uh, compared with some of these raging bull markets we've seen as well. In fact, you'd have a, a beautiful inverse chart of what the, the VIX has done uh, as a time when the market has rallied, because you're quite rightly say nobody was prepared to take out shorts in this bull market. Nobody wanted to take out some insurance policy as well. Uh, and, I, and I say to you, well, this is great news now for those retail investors who are learning on the job, for those legions of new Robin Hood investors who are coming into the market thinking it's a one-way market. Well, what a wonderful lesson you've had. You've still got, as Karen was saying, your 65% increase on the year to date in Apple if you're a buyer of this stock. You've still got your 82% rise in Amazon if you are an investor rather than just a punter. You've still got your 386% increase in Tesla year to date as well. But what you've got now is extra knowledge that markets can go two ways. You must have really enjoyed that yesterday because you must have learned a lot. Let me um, help our audience understand a few more things and tap into your background in the uh, uh, derivatives markets here because the story that's been emerging in recent days and one that I think those who are interested in the plumbing of the markets uh, are concerned about and those who are interested in the connection between equities and options, they've been looking at Apple and the action in the options market, they've been looking at Tesla and they've been making a case here that a lot of the rise that we've seen in the underlying equity performance has been about hedging of call options. Now, this is your area of expertise. So let's just delve into this for a moment here. So the argument, as I understand it, but you'll explain the technicals to me, is that some of the hedge funds, some of the Robin Hood community have been buying call options on these companies, expecting the stocks will continue to grind higher. But obviously, somebody has to write that contract, i.e. banks like Goldman Sachs. So how would this actually unfold and why would it make the market vulnerable to big pullbacks? Well, for a start, uh, again, all these uh, amazing investors who are now delving into areas which they completely understand, like such as the options market, they would have obviously looked at their lessons from the WTI April expiry and thought, oh, I, I can see what happens when I short a put and, and the dangers uh, involved in that on a contract settlement uh, as they saw. So I'm sure they learned their lessons from April there as well. But you're absolutely right. If you buy calls, you are basically putting a smaller amount of money on the table, expecting growth in that stock. Now, if you buy those calls out of the money, I the underlying stock price is below that, uh, then what you are doing is taking an outright premium bet, i.e. you could lose that entire premium if the stock stays where it is or goes up only slightly. But of course, if the stock goes up aggressively, as it has been doing as well, then the delta, which is the actual uh, amount that that stock translates into, into underlying stock, that will go up, of course, as the stock goes in the money, as the call option goes in the money on that stock as well. And that means, as you quite rightly say, those that underwrit that option uh, need to find 
uh, more underlying stock uh, to cover that as well. And if that's what's been happening, and again, I'll bow to your knowledge on this story. I didn't know that that's what's been driving a lot of this market. Then the underlying writers, the shorters of those call options will have to uh, pick up more Delta themselves. They will have to buy more of the underlying stock. But then if you see violence to the downside, of course, it's the call option holders who held the premium. Did they have a short in the underlying stock against it? Did they have some form of um, a position there, which is a very common strategy for many? I you buy the call and you sell the underlying as well to try and take advantage of market nuances. That remains to be seen. But if the underwriters were short the stock uh, and kept a short position on that stock, then of course they would do pretty well out of this as well. Uh, because uh, a big part of the, 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 the call option buyers, because they would lose their premium, but they would have a short stock position to cover them on the downside as well. Were people buying puts as well? Again, my history takes they haven't been buying puts to cover their premium to the downside as well. It remains to be seen uh, whether this is just a short-term event or people once again uh, re- remembering that options can go in two ways. And if you short them, it can be moved violently against you as the premium picks up. Stephen, it does open a conversation about what happens next from here. And if we look at all those fund manager calls that we've, we keep on seeing day in, day out, everybody's suggesting technology and healthcare are the areas to invest in. So when you get an event like this, you can't help but wonder whether it just presents another buying opportunity for many market participants that may have missed out on buying some of the stocks that they want. And it seems to be an incredible repositioning around COVID-19. Fund managers want certain stocks, and we've clearly seen a remaking of the economy where some companies in particular of benefiting from these accelerated digital trends and others are missing out. This uh, K-shaped index that we've been talking about, the K-shape that's been charted, where some sectors outperform, some underperform, and we keep on waiting for the catch-up to take place on the market, but it hasn't happened. And with an event like this, do we get a market catch-up or do we just get more buying back into those big-name stocks? And I I dare say it might just be the same old trade that those big technology names come back to the fore yet again. One other point here is that it's not just on Wall Street. There have been question marks around some of the other big technology names that are listed on other major stock markets because they've also tried to play catch up with those Wall Street names or Silicon Valley names, Jeff. Karen, Steve, thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, We've got the next three hours together and an opportunity to help our audience understand in more detail what's happening in the markets. And it's a delicious day ahead, of course, because we're going to look at the non-farm payrolls number later in the trading session here. And we've also had a couple of pieces of data running into those figures, the ADP, uh, the claims numbers that I think have just left some confusion about the state of the labor market in the United States. So we'll get into that. One other thing, look, if you were watching those market declines yesterday, if you're looking at your portfolio this morning and you're choking on your Cocoa Pops, just hang, hang for a moment. Because if you think you had it bad, there are some billionaires who are really counting their losses. The top four billionaires lost $25 billion in their net worth in yesterday's session. Jeff Bezos down $9 billion. Elon Musk down $9 billion, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg down $4 billion, and Bill Gates down $3 billion. So some significant uh, paper losses witnessed by those key billionaires. So as Karen was rightly saying, the point is not what happened yesterday. The point is what happens today and what happens on Monday and the following days after that. Speaking to CNBC, Allianz chief global advisor Mohamed El Arian warned he thinks U.S. stocks could go down further. 
we could have another 10% fall easily if, I want to stress, if people start thinking fundamentals. Ultimately, Wilfred, it's do you look at absolute valuation or do you look at relative valuation? In relative terms, stocks seem cheap to everything else. In absolute terms, stocks are expensive. If you're in a liquidity-based paradigm, you will be dominated by relative thinking, and that's where we've been. If you're on a fundamentally-based paradigm, you ask the question, am I being paid enough? Am I being paid enough yield on high-yield bonds? And the answer is no, you're not paying it for an economy that faces not just moderation in the rate of improvement, but a rising level of bankruptcies. Well, Mohammed al then giving his view that he thinks we could see another 10% to the downside. What are the European calls look like well largely as you'd anticipate but to be honest i think um, these really don't reflect the kind of pain we saw in the u.s session yesterday but maybe that shows us that the markets are being discriminating that it was largely a technology-led sell-off and while european markets haven't enjoyed the degree of upside we've seen in the nasdaq and the ndx Perhaps the European markets will give us less downside when there is this kind of selling pressure. Early doors here, but just worth pointing out, the August PMIs have largely this week suggested a little bit of a loss of momentum in the European recovery, but the markets themselves don't seem to have been too perturbed about that economic data. But while we're talking about the legacy as we come into the European session, it's worth catching up with the broader Asian market wall here. And as I, as I look at this wall, again, let me make the point. Investors are being discriminating about the markets they sell off and about the sectors that they are selling off at this stage. Let's get out to Sherry in Hong Kong, who's going to tell us a little bit more about where the most pain is being felt. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, Jeff. So as you rightly pointed out, investors were being selective here in Hong Kong so far this uh, you know session. So yes, technology is really the bottom performer, as you can imagine, given the Wall Street uh, price action overnight when it comes to that particular sector. And that did send the Hang Seng Index down a 1.6%. It did actually drag down on some of the other sectors, some such as health care, as well as consumer cyclicals that had a quite a good run, especially on the back of, of course, this liquidity rally. But if you take a look at some of the sectors like utilities, for example, they actually, relatively speaking, outperformed or performed less badly. So there is that nature of being selective on a day like this. However, there has been some signs for the last five straight sessions. It actually has declined when it comes to four out of five past sessions when it comes to the Hang Seng Index. And there's a perfect gauge for tech weakness, and that is the Hang Seng Tech Index, and that is a down 3.4%. Remember, there has been a lot of excitement over this DNA change when it comes to Hong Kong stock market with a lot of Chinese technology names coming into uh, to list here in the city. So I think that froth is being taken off the table. Really quickly, there is going to be a rebalance for the Hang Seng Index at the market close today. We've got, of course, Alibaba, Xiaomi, and 
Ushi Biologics will be joining the Hang Seng Index as of to a Monday morning, and、uh, so that is perhaps another factor that、uh, behind this price distortion when it comes to some of the heavyweights like Tencent Holdings, which of which its weighting will be d-、uh, adjusted downward a little bit. Alibaba shares are down. Four percent at the moment, Jeff. It's back over to you. Terrific, Sherry. Thanks so much for that. And of course, as we chart the、uh, 150 billion dollar decline in Apple, it's worth just remembering where a lot of the Apple product is made.、Uh, let's get directly to the China story. Sam, you've been taking a look at the tech stocks in particular as they tie into Apple, and of course, as they exist in their own right.、Uh, just walk us through what happened in in, in the Chinese day. Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, you're exactly right in terms of the specific reaction to that sharp sell-off on Wall Street overnight over on the Chinese mainland markets. We have seen Apple suppliers falling this morning on both the major indices. The tech giant, of course, tumbling eight percent in the stock's worst session since March. So we have seen shares in Chinese companies that make everything from, you know, touch screens to acoustic components falling up to three and a half percent today.、Uh, we have also been seeing leading Chinese consumer. Firms dropping again over concerns of high valuations. We did actually see this yesterday. Leading the fall has been a company called Foshan Haitian Flavoring, which is actually said to be the largest manufacturer of soy sauce in the world, which dropped as much as nine percent, extending yesterday's fall of six point eight percent. The index, which actually Tracks consumer staples、uh, over in China has shed as much as three and a half percent and is on track for the worst session since July. Actually, it is still though up over fifty percent for the year、uh, amid this uh, boost uh, in terms of domestic demand by Beijing、uh, in the wake of the.、Uh, Coronavirus,、uh, but we have seen,、uh, you know, investors pulling back right across the board today in terms of the sectors. Chinese mainland market certainly under pressure, with the benchmark index over in Shanghai actually on track to snap a five-week winning streak. Steve, back to you. Excellent, Sam. Thank you very much indeed for that. Well, away from the market oscillation, there is a real world out there, and the real world is tough, as we know. And Italy has had an extraordinary heavy toll, which is paid in the COVID-19 crisis. But are there signs of hope? Is there a recovery on the way? Well, we've been discussing already with Valeria Demoli of the Ambrosetti Forum. We'll listen to some of his interesting thoughts after a very short break on Squawkbox. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal, and me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. So we're here at the、uh, European House Ambrosetti Forum in Como, and it's very interesting. Of course, this is uh, uh, one of the biggest gatherings of academics, politicians,、um, big thinkers out there as well. And we're here in Italy, of course, which has had such a, a huge toll, which it has paid. I mean, circa thirty-five 
1,000 people have lost their lives uh, in the COVID-19 crisis. The economic toll is enormous as well. GDP falling the best part of 13% in the second quarter. Um, huge declines there as well. Household spending down 11.3%. Exports down 26% as well. Uh, and debt to GDP, which we spent a lot of time talking about since the great financial crisis, has now leapt up from around about 130, 135% of GDP to around about 155 to 160. But are there signs of hope? Are there signs of recovery? Well, one of the great wins for Giuseppe Conti was the fact that he persuaded more frugal northern um, countries uh, to go along uh, with the idea that actually a large amount of money should be given uh, to the south, uh, not in the form of loans, but in the form of grants as well. And Italy will be getting 209 billion euros of that. Has that cemented Italy's position in Europe rather than leaving Italy on the periphery? Well, a lot of people are thinking actually that Italy uh, and its uh, view of the European Union has improved because uh, of that largesse shown at an EC level as well. I was speaking to Valerio De Moli, who is the managing partner and, the, and CEO of Ambrosetti, the man who runs this uh, very interesting event with a lot of big thinkers here as well. And he was saying, look, he thinks now rather than being pushed to the periphery of Europe, actually uh, Italy uh, is back right at the centre of it. He also had some very interesting comments about what Brexit uh, is doing uh, to the European Union. Let's listen in. It seems that the Italian position within Europe uh, is much stronger now than it was with the so-called yellow-green government one year ago, for sure, for sure, even though the prime minister is the same, but the coalition is completely different. And also the Brexit situation impacted tremendously on the rest of the European Union membership, the other member states became much closer and the veto power that uh, the UK expressed every single deci- for every single vote decisions uh, uh, is now non-existent anymore. So you better off without the British? I think so. Frankly speaking, yes. Without, yeah. without the net contributions? Without well, the, uh... I'm not talking about the economic country and the financial uh, aspects. This is a, this is a different story, but I'm talking about the geopolitical climate and the agreement mood. You know, with all the differences and nuances, the the Nordic countries, the Netherlands. You you know all the story. I don't want to bore you too much with whatever is already renowned and now to the history. But was a great fight reduced in a couple of weeks negotiation. Now it's over, and for the first time in history, the member states, the 27, have accepted a consolidated debt. The recovery fund is consolidated debt. It's not nothing different than that. Then, then we can talk about the financial situation and everything else. But as an entity, the U- European Union is highly attractive for investments. In a, in a general uh, environment where yields are negative or, or close to zero, uh, Europe can be very attractive also as a destination for investment. So I don't think it will be a major problem to replace the lack of money coming from England. So for so many years, you and I have talked about, quite frankly, political chaos in Italy as well. Are you saying that COVID has not only given more cohesion to Europe, you've answered that question, but also created political stability in Italy as well? And we'll find out a little bit about that in the regional elections soon to come. I think so. Yes. Uh, it's, It's nothing that we would have wished. I would have preferred big cows as always, 
and not the COVID around us, uh, frankly speaking. I mean, we are now joking a bit around the topic, uh, but we have we have registered 30, 35,000 deaths in Italy only. So it's really a tragedy. Uh, we, 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 we didn't really want to have that in order to have a little bit of more stability. Uh, but as a matter of fact, yes, you are right. Um, now, nobody has the interest in breaking up and in changing. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.